welcome back to There's a Device for That. Today, we have a session where our own product manager from Esper, Cole Gillette, talks to Kelsey Temple from Sonos. You probably have a Sonos device in your house right now. Cole, tell us a little bit about what you've talked to Kelsey about. Thanks, Sudhir. In the next few minutes, you're going to hear a lot about Sonos and how they're pushing the limits of what's possible and really talking about how given the market fit that they've captured over the past few years, how they're continuing to innovate. Welcome, Kelsey. Thanks for joining me today. Super happy to have you here. Um, I myself am in products, so I uh, am excited to hear you know about you and your world. Uh, before we get started, I'd love to just kind of get things going with a few fun device-specific questions, as well as uh, a question or two about you and, and how you got in the industry. So the first one I have is, uh, what was your first techie device or game-changing innovation? Yeah, so I was a kid, probably like five years old, and I remember my dad had an old Windows computer that I could play Lemmings on, which I thought was just the coolest thing ever. But I think what got me a little more interested in tech was that computer was old and it would just crash sometimes. And in order to fix it, I had to boot it up in developer mode and enter a series of commands that my dad had given me on a little sticky note. And I thought that was just a really interesting way to interact with the computer. And I felt really powerful being able to say, hey, computer, do these things. And so I could play my game again, of course. And so that's kind of, I think, the first time I was really exposed to code and technology and didn't really get back into it until college when I rediscovered computer science, but that's my earliest memory of interacting with a computer in that way. Awesome. I feel like we all have gotten into it through something that was kind of fun and always relates back to our childhood. And then before you know it, it's like you're, you're in it as a career and you're always looking back at that. What device or technology do you find the most exciting right now? The most exciting, I think there's been a technology trend recently on privacy. When I started in product, it was around 2013. And I feel like the people were just giving a lot of information about themselves away for free. And I think in the last few years, we've really seen that kind of pivot and people are starting to think through, well, what am I giving you? How much do you know about me? And so it's been really cool to see consumers have that realization and also see companies react to that and start to do the right thing by the customers and really think about, well, how am I building this? What am I asking them for? Um, do I need what I'm asking them for and really building with privacy in mind from the beginning. So I think that's one of the cool technology trends. And it's one that I've also seen at Sonos recently. And I was really excited to see us prioritize that when we shipped the Sonos voice assistant, which unlike other assistants, does a lot of the processing right on the speaker. So it doesn't have as much of that. We're sharing our data off to the cloud um, for who knows what purposes. And so I think it's a really great product that we've built and it's nice to see Sonos also embrace a technology in the field that I think is really exciting. That's amazing. I just purchased a house and I'm evaluating what I'm going to buy for speakers and Sonos on my <laughs> list. So that's a phenomenal one to hear. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'll dig into a little bit more as we get into it. Two more, you know, one of them I have to ask being in product, which is why this job, why product? Uh, what attracted you to it? Yeah, so I was a computer science major at college and was mostly doing a lot of software development type tasks at the time and was applying for a job. And the person interviewing me, the interviewer was like, hey, I actually think you sound more like a product person. And I was like, that's weird. Why? And it was because when I was answering questions around how to build something, I wasn't responding like with a code answer. I was responding more with, 
all of the other experiences I'd had at college. So at the time, I was a researcher in the human-computer interaction lab, which is all about how do we build interfaces that really work well with the end customer. And so I think that was responding a lot, thinking about this customer-centric usability perspective. And then also talking a lot about just my liberal arts degree and how do we really think about solving problems and really understanding the heart of those things. And so that CS degree plus that user research background and then the liberal arts background, I think, are all the skills that you see in a product manager. And so I think it really set me up well to be in the role and be technical with my CS degree, but also be able to talk to customers and really understand their problems using my skills from user research and then liberal arts in general, learning how to communicate to all the different people you work in in products. So I think that's been kind of my journey and my realization. And I've loved product ever since. It's the only thing I've been doing since post-college. So it's fun. It's great. Likewise, I I started right out of school in in product and uh, never looked back. I'm curious how you found it being somebody coming from a technical background to product. Was it a hurdle to understand the business side of it? Or was that something that because of your liberal arts background just was a natural extension of of what you've been doing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Definitely some of the liberal arts background, I think, helps the building the curiosity and knowing how to ask questions and really how to problem solve helped me learn more of the business sense. I think also just having strong partners throughout my career in marketing and go to market is also just a helpful resource to help fill in maybe the gaps where I didn't necessarily have that business background or that MBA background, those folks have been able to help out, which has been really great. And I also think as long as you're keeping the customer at the center, the business case, I feel like you can build around them. And so I think that's also just been helpful because I have that user-centric background. It's easier to come up with that business case once you really understand the problem I think you're solving. Awesome. Well, switching gears a little bit before we jump into kind of the media things, I want to ask a fun one, which is, what is a motto or saying that you keep top of mind in your life as you're innovating? Yeah, no, that's a hard one. I don't think I have any single one. I think I hear a lot and I think they're all probably repeated by different people. So like I know I'll hear strong opinions weekly held a lot and that's my old manager would say that. And then I realized it was actually Steve Jobs who said it first. So it's hard to say that there's any one saying. I think there's a bunch of them swimming around in my brain at any given time. Awesome. Well, I'd love, and this goes back to my point of uh, being a homeowner and evaluating what's out there. Maybe you can give me your elevator pitch on what it is that makes Sonos different and how are they finding innovation with something that is probably historically been seen as a legacy or established product? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. And if you need help figuring out what speakers work in your house, I'm happy to chat after the call. But I think the thing that makes Sonos really special is that we've always had the customer first and thinking about how we can best serve them. So before my time, like when Sonos was first founded, they were sitting down realizing, hey, how can we bring music into every room? And that was a big deal back then because that was pre-internet of things and music was still on CDs and wasn't in the cloud. And so I think was a pretty ambitious goal. And it's something that has kind of been at the center of Sonos from the beginning. And so when I first interacted with Sonos in my life, I was at my uncle's house and I was getting his kids and he had a Play 5. So this would have been in like the 2010 timeframe. And I just remember it being super easy to use and control. And I thought that that was now being at Sonos and knowing that was some of the goals of the original founders. I was like, oh yeah, no, it totally rang true when I first interacted with it. And got me interested. And so then when I eventually realized that I was in my town and looking for product managers, it was like, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to like 
continue to build on this really cool product that really, I think, differentiated itself because it was so easy to use and so easy to control. And it's been really cool now in my career as a product manager there, being able to like take some of those principles and apply them in my job. So for example, not doing this right now, but when I first started Sonos, I was the product manager for the developer portal. And then the whole thing of the developer portal was how do we let third-party developers come to Sonos and yeah, control it with their third-party switch or tablet or whatever it was that they were building. And so it was really cool to work on a project that's like directly focused on that initial goal. Of like how can we make this something that's super easy to control? And now I'm working, looking at how can we bring Sonos into more spaces, looking at businesses and professionals. And it's just another extension of that original goal of like, how can we make this easy and get music everywhere? And so it's just, I think, really cool how those words are pretty simple. But when you think about it, they're, especially then and even now, there's not a lot of places doing that and thinking about that. And so I think at the end of the day, like Sonos just being so easy to use, so easy to control. And then also just sounding really, really good, <laughs> which is maybe less what I do, but a lot of really smart people at Sonos do, I think really differentiates Sonos in the space. I think you kind of touched on it there, but being that Sonos has been around for a little bit now and really established itself, how are you and how is the company as a whole really continuing to push those limits of what's possible to stay ahead of trend and really seen as that innovator? We're keeping those principles in mind from the beginning. Also, just a lot of continuing to talk to our users. I mentioned at the beginning, I had a background in user research. And I think that's something that we at Sonos value a lot is that customer opinion. And so I think that's one area where we just continue to talk to customers a lot and see how are they using our product? How are they um, using our, and when I say product, it's the speaker, it's the app, it's those third-party integrations that are a whole piece of the puzzle. And so really just talking to them and understanding, hey, how does this work? Is it fitting your needs? I think is one really important way that we just continue to make sure that we're building for the right person. And if you're building for the right person and think about how you can improve their lives, I think you naturally start to push the limits of what's possible. Being in product management and the one that is really kind of responsible for advocating on behalf of customers, how do you take a goal like that that you have at Sonos and really start to seed product development day in and day out with aspects of that that are going to help you continue to kind of deliver on that, that goal? I think tactically, taking those insights you maybe learn from research or seeing what's happening out there in the technology field and realizing how that can help. I think as a PM, it's your job to really inspire and teach that, I think, to other people in the group. And so when I, we have ideas that we're starting to see this idea forming, I think it's always really important to bring that back to the core product development team and say, hey, here's what we're seeing. Listen to what you're hearing from the customers. We have an idea of what the problem is or what the solution is. Like, let's all think about this together. And I think that's another really important part of product management is you don't do it all by yourself. You're working with a large team and you're managing not necessarily people, but the product. And you need to make sure that the end product is as great as what you envisioned. And a big part of that is bringing the team along and making sure that they really understand, hey, here's what we're building, why we're building it. And then I've found once they have that, a lot of times they have some of the best ideas on how to solution and how to build something like that. And so as long as you can be that translator between that user need and the engineers, I think you can start to build some really amazing products. You've mentioned customers being at the center of everything you do. I think, you know, at Esper, that's a very common thread that we see as well. And given that you've got market fit, it's the product's been around for a while. How do you continue to work with those customers kind of to identify those pain points and evolve that product given that it is kind of so well established at this point? 
I think there's a lot of different ways that we can engage with customers. I've done early, early concept testing with them where we're not even really looking at a Sonos product. We're just having a conversation around how does sound fit into your life. I think we also maybe leverage customers differently. Maybe we're being more direct around how we have an idea. Let's actually start testing this with them and having them experience the sound in their homes. Um, We actually have a very active beta community, which has been super valuable as we're building products to be able to get feedback from them and make sure that they're working as expected. And so I think there's a lot of different ways you can engage with the community. You just kind of have to sit back and figure out, well, what stage am I at in the product development cycle? What type of feedback do I really, am I looking from them right now? And then figuring out, well, what's the tool that I want to deploy to get the answer to that question that I'm trying to solve? And that can, like I said, vary a lot depending on where you are in that journey, how much certainty you have and what you're hoping to learn. You know, I I noticed that you've been at Sonos both pre-pandemic and and through the pandemic. There's a lot that that's changed specifically when it comes to business. I'm curious from how you approach building products, you found that you changed kind of your work style or workflow uh, either for yourself or kind of for you and your team when building and delivering those products. No, I think Sonos was lucky in that we were already a global company pre-pandemic. And so I was very used to hopping on Zoom calls already with my colleagues in Santa Barbara, Boston, the Netherlands, all over the world. And so in that sense, when we all had to start working remotely, we at least had the infrastructure set up and we're used to doing that in a lot of ways. And so I think we're able to leverage that foundation that we had to keep building products now that everybody was remote and everybody was on Zoom rather than different groups of folks being in different Zoom or real rooms, but all on Zoom together. And so I think one of the ways that we've done is just being a lot more conscious about our connections. And so we've moved a lot more towards having more regular meetings, both at the small team level to make sure that you're connecting and then also just at the global level with all of Sonos have the chance to just talk and see face-to-face and hear what's happening, especially starting to replace some of those things that might just happen more organically because you run into someone in the kitchen. I think another thing that we started too is just in those meetings, starting the conversation with a little bit more small talk, really asking like, hey, how are you doing? Because you weren't necessarily getting that connection through the hallways like you might when we were all in the office. And so I think we're just being very intentional around when we meet, making sure we're keeping in touch and then also just making sure that we still had that human connection. And I think all of those things combined helped us just move quickly from building products with the offices to just being able to build products fully remote. And so I actually think we were lucky, like I said, I think we're lucky in that we're kind of already used to it. And so as far as real changes to like how we build the product, I think it was just trying to since we had that foundation, just being clever around, okay, now that we've got, we all have to be fully remote, how can we move these things that maybe we did do more in person to Zoom? But like I said, since so much of us were already remote, we were I think in a pretty good spot to uh, hit the ground running. Kind of along the lines of your approach to building, something that's core for us at Esper and as well as myself and my team of product is automation, rapid mm-hmm. iteration, of course, being a DevOps company, that's top of mind. But I think within product, We talk a lot about iteration and how you do so in a very efficient way. So I'm curious, those two factors, what role do they play for you in your day-to-day? Yeah, automation is super important. Previous to my current role, I was on the platform team as a product manager. And that, I think, is especially where I learned to appreciate automation's role within the group. For that team, we were responsible for a lot of foundational cloud services, things that just powered the core functionality of the Sonos players and the uh, content that they're receiving. So 
the automation helped us feel really confident that when we were updating those cloud services, we're updating them and not introducing any unintended bugs into the system and making sure that things worked confidently. And I think, especially on the cloud side, it was kind of not, it's relatively new to Sonos when you think about the fact that Sonos has been around for, you know, 15, 20 years. The idea of the cloud is actually was new to us. And what was really empowering about that is being able to ship whenever we wanted. Because when you think about the original Sonos product having firmware, you don't want to ship whenever you want because that requires that the customer go and make an update to the player to get the new experience. And so as we moved from that very regimented firmware-only releases to these cloud services, we're able to release a lot more frequently. It became a lot more important that automation that we were running that every time that we were releasing to make sure that let's get this out there as quick as we can because that was a new cool thing for Sonos, especially to be able to ship whenever we wanted. But we wanted to make sure that we were just doing it in a way with confidence that wasn't necessarily as involved as the manual testing we might do for one of those big firmware releases. So automation's been, yeah, huge for us in that sense. Given that you've been immersed in that world now with those cloud services, what do you feel like is the risk of, of not having them these days? Yeah, yeah. The risk of not having them is that, of course, you could ship a bug or something unintended. And I think that becomes really real when you think about Sonos again and the fact that you do have firmware code and code in the cloud. I think what oftentimes happens if you maybe didn't have that automation, you did ship a bug, because the, the cloud, you're able to ship a lot more often. A lot of times we would end up doing those bug fixes via the cloud when maybe if we hadn't shipped that bug in the first place, we actually would have rather fix that bug doing more of a firmware update. And so I think that's just a good example of like by not having that, if we hadn't had that automation and then you end up having to do that bug fix in that style that you maybe wouldn't have wanted, you're just introducing tech debt and stuff that you have to deal with later. And the fact that like, oh man, why does it work that way? It's like, oh, well, we shipped that bug that one time. And that's why we now have this tech debt because we had to fix it a certain way in order to get the product out. And so I really think that's kind of the risk that you have by not having automation is that you can sometimes get yourself into tough spots when you have to fix a bug really quickly. And then just yeah, you want to make sure Sonos works and the music keeps playing too. So that's the other difference. <laughs> that, is, that is always key at the end of the day. It's almost like the automation solves the iteration piece too in that, you know, because you're automating, you're finding these things faster. You're then iterating on things that maybe slip through the cracks and make sure that doesn't happen again, which is, is always a great agile approach. So to come back full circle, I feel like we've talked or touched on innovation throughout the conversation. And that's something that is an ongoing process. It's, it's never going to end. As a product leader, how do you stay on top of that, stay motivated, continue to keep the team energized with all these new ideas and, and ensuring that, you know, the customer is going to continue to be delighted? When it comes to kind of goes back to the conversation you were having earlier around bringing that insight from the customer to the team. I think when I think about like I've been at Sonos now five years, like what keeps me excited is that we have a huge backlog of ideas on how to keep delivering a great system that's easy to use, sounds great, and also looks great. And so I think continuing to like be able to identify those areas where you can make improvements and be able to communicate that and get the team excited. I think that's one of the nice things of working on a really fun customer-facing product like Sonos is I think we have it a little bit easier because a lot of people can relate and say like, oh yeah, I have Sonos at my house or my friend told me about their experiences in Sonos this weekend. And it's nice to be able to have those real world examples to also help keep you excited day in and day out. 
that certainly makes life easier when you have all the information coming to you rather than having to go out there and really dig for it, which I am transparently jealous about. Uh, that's, that's a great, great situation to be in. So as a PM who's covered, it sounds like a, a lot of different experiences. What do you feel like are the qualities or attributes that really define a great PM or, or maybe separate a good PM from a great PM? What's really cool about PMs, a lot of the PMs I've met is there are so many different personalities and mindsets and people come from so many different backgrounds. I know PMs from education. I know PMs from the business side. I know PMs who are architects. And so I think it's, it's a really cool position that everyone kind of has a different mindset. But I find what a lot of them all have in common is they're all very curious. I think a lot of PMs, you want to really understand what the problem is and ask questions and really keep poking at, well, what is this? How does it work? Why does it work that way? And I think that's a really important quality in a product manager because you have so many different inputs and goals that you're trying to solve. I think just being curious can help you really be successful. The other one I think I've found is just being a good communicator. Like I mentioned earlier, I think as a PM, you end up doing a lot of translating between mentioning the customer to the engineering team. But I think there's also just a lot of communication between other groups. You need to be able to talk to GTM and talk business and then be able to switch gears the next meeting and then go ahead and talk to the customer success team and really understand, hey, what are they seeing and how can we help them? And I think being a good communicator is really important to that. And then also just talked about this earlier too, just not just being able to communicate within people, but being able to communicate out in your ideas and where you want to go and really inspire people behind the vision that you're creating with the product. So I think between curiosity and communication, those are some of the most important uh, traits. I would have to say, I agree and you nailed it. You know, I think everybody I work with is probably so sick of hearing me go on hour long rants about product and, and what makes a great product person. But, you know, it's the, the one that I always go back to is if you have the soft skills, which speaks to that communication piece, the hard can be taught at any point in time. Of course, there's a bar that you have to meet, but at the end of the day, being that individual that can facilitate those conversations, break down complex topics into things that anybody can understand is so critical. And it sounds like you and, and your team at, at Sonos have really nailed that one, which is awesome. You know, to wrap things up, I'd love to, to know what's what's next for you. What are some things maybe that you're working on in the near term that are keeping you excited? One of the things I mentioned early on, Sonos, their initial goal was like filling every home with music. And some of the things I'm thinking about now is just how can we bring Sonos to other spaces? And so looking at what are the needs of not just homes, but businesses and other professional spaces. So I don't have a lot more to share there, except that lots of exciting stuff happening. Awesome. Well, when I buy my first business building, I'll make sure that I look at Sonos for that as well. I feel like there you go. at this point. <laughs> also, it's, it's great to chat. Yeah, no, it was great chatting with you too, Cole. Nice to meet you. This is There's a Device for That, and you can get a new episode every Tuesday anywhere you subscribe to your podcast. Please be sure to subscribe. There's a Device for That is brought to you by Esper the industry's first and leading DevOps platform for device fleets. If you're interested in learning more about how Esper can help you better manage your device fleet, reach out. Go to esper.io or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at esperdev at E-S-P-E-R-D-E-V. Thank you for listening. I'll see you on the next episode of There's a Device for That.